All right. It is the week of September 19th, 2020. This is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Auger, and today we're going to talk about Raul Rosas Jr., the youngest fighter ever signed to the UFC. We're going to do a good deal, bad deal segment on this. Is it a good or bad deal for the UFC to sign someone so young, especially when they're passing up other contenders like Bo Nickel, who has to fight twice, and some other guys that made good impressions this year on the Contender Series? We will talk about that in depth and look at it from multiple views because it's important to kind of break down. Next, we're going to talk about Francis Ngannou's fighter leverage comments. So the heavyweight champion came out and said a couple of new things regarding fighter leverage and fighter pay with the UFC. Is it going to make a difference? Are we walking in circles and talking in circles here? We're going to break that down as well. I think it's important we have that conversation again, albeit briefly. Then we're going to do a quick hit section with some news on Eddie Alvarez and Nate Diaz. And lastly, we're going to talk about Floyd Mayweather and his recent comments about doing boxing exhibitions. Mayweather is going to fight Mikuru Asakura this weekend in Ryzen. And according to Floyd, he's not very dangerous at all. Is this a viable business? Are people going to Tune into this. We'll break down why Floyd's doing this and how MMA fighters can kind of take advantage of this craze. With that in mind, timestamps at the bottom as always, and let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, first thing we're going to talk about today, Raul Roses Jr. If you didn't watch this week's Contender Series, the 17-year-old ended up winning his fight, pretty dominant fashion, 30-27, I think for two judges, 29-28 for the other, and he's been signed to the UFC, not a developmental deal, not a, hey, come back again later in the season, like Bo Nickel. Uh, No, we're just signing a 17-year-old kid, essentially. A lot of mixed reaction to this from the media. Um, A lot of media, I think, was surprised that a developmental deal wasn't given, as we've seen in the past with people like Greg Hardy and Mackenzie Dern. Would make sense given his age. That's what I thought was going to happen initially. But, you know, Dana White said he loved what he did out there, wanted to sign him directly to the UFC. And now there are some concerns, right? There were already concerns going into this where some people were kind of like, man, you're going to let a technical minor fight on the contender series, let alone sign him? Right, I, I honestly think most people didn't think he would get signed to a regular deal. Developmental deal, sure, but uh, yeah, unless he went out there and just put on a crazy clinic, I don't think that was in the cards. And I mean, he did well, don't get me wrong. He clearly won the rounds, but if you watch that fight, there were a couple things that stood out to me that I think are important to take note of in his future fights. And that's that uh, Gutierrez, I believe is his name, who he was fighting. A lot of times he would get into bad positions on the ground. And especially earlier on in the fight, he would just out muscle Rosas. Like he would just stand up or break a hold or do something that, you know, technique couldn't stop because he was just so much bigger and stronger. I mean, it really did look like a grown man versus a kid in there. And don't get me wrong, Rosas has amazing skills, especially on the ground. Um, but that discrepancy is going to be hard to overcome for a bit, I would imagine. Without putting on some more muscle, he's still growing, right? He's, his brain isn't fully developed. I mean, he could go on and on. But that aside, from a business perspective, why 
why do this, right? What is the gain you get if you're the UFC when there's kind of this timidity around having him fight on the contender series in the first place and then even more hesitation when you actually sign him? And the proof is in the pudding for that. If you look at the numbers of articles or videos uh, on Raul, um, I mean, they're they're stellar, right? I think the at the time of this recording, it's up to 1.7 million from the UFC's official channel where they say, like, we've signed the youngest fighter ever. Um, 1.7 million views. Those are very good views, right? Those are very good numbers, metrics-wise. Um, clearly, he's pulling in something, trending something the right way. My guess is Dana and Sean and Mick looked at the live numbers for that, right? Saw the spike. Um, and that's why they're running with contract. Because if you think about it, right? The UFC, we've gone over this. You've got money kind of secure in terms of your, your main source of revenue, right? That's all fixed now, but you still want to make more. You still want to be more successful, get new stars in there. Um, and, and, keep the train going and those kinds of numbers indicate that maybe that could happen with Rosas, right i mean that that is a rarity at least from what i've seen in terms of contender series numbers where it, and, and especially he didn't get some crazy knockout or submission that's just like whoa that we've got to do a double take i mean he out wrestled him and he, he fought a good fight but it, it's not a super exciting fight Right, it it wasn't flashy. It wasn't kind of a man. This is unbelievable to a layman. This fight probably looked like, oh, okay, it looks like an MMA fight, right? Um, a lot of anecdotes out there too about how you know some of the more hardcore fans talked about this with casual MMA fans, and there was sort of some disgust, like, wow, they're letting a kid fight. That seems messed up. I've seen that on multiple feeds and and again it's anecdotal so it's hard to say um but clearly the the curiosity of this has caught enough casual attention because i don't think this is just hardcore fans pumping up the social media metrics right those types of metrics are the type of metrics that catch your eye when i looked through the youtube videos with his name uh when i looked through some of the articles uh and talked with some people definitely trending in a way that's star potential don't want to say he's like well he's already on the fast track anything no i mean it's way too early to tell that but definitely star potential right and we've seen this before with younger fighters too chase hooper they have talked about white specifically has talked about how good his numbers were through espn plus and that's why chase kind of got a push there must have been a similar scenario here that's that would be my bet and Chase was young too. I think Chase was 18, 19 when he signed. So, I mean, it not that far off. In terms of the backlash, right, and some of this other stuff. Um, speaking bluntly, I don't think there's going to be backlash, right? The, the only backlash and blowback from this comes in a scenario where he goes out there, fights, and gets seriously hurt. And could that happen? Sure. It can happen to anyone. It is arguable 
arguable whether it's more likely to happen if he's fighting far bigger opponents who have a lot more muscle mass and can put on more muscle mass because he's still young. But I don't know that that's necessarily the case here, right? And if you're the UFC, you can kind of slow roll him into fights just like the contender series where he's more than likely going to win or he's at least got a good shot of winning and you know you're not putting him in there with a crazy power puncher uh maybe put him in there with a submission artist because then even if he gets choked out or something happens it's not going to look as bad right it's less likely that he'd get severely hurt there are ways around that from a booking perspective but nevertheless there really is any more risk than some of the younger guys unless he gets hurt before he's 18. And let me let me look this up right now. Um, oh. I look up his age, right? He's 17, but in terms of his birthday, when he'll turn 18, is that listed anywhere? His birthday is in October. Yeah, so so his, his birthday is like two weeks away from when I'm recording this. So he's going to turn 18 by the time he actually fights again in the UFC. Easily. And that right there gives them some blanket coverage as well. Um, makes sense. I do wonder if he had just turned 17, if maybe they give him a developmental deal or they say, hey, come back for another contender series and we'll see. But since it's that close to him turning 18 anyway, why not? And again, the proof is in the numbers. His his numbers are trending very well. So it's really hard to see much blowback here, even if things go very wrong. The only, the only case where it will really come back to bite the UFC is if they put him in there with a huge guy, you get a, uh, what, like an Alexandre cosmos and, and sage Northcutt situation where you know he just gets roses just gets murked and really hurt has to be in the hospital all that other stuff that could be a problem any other scenario is pretty much clear right because i mean i think chase hooper is still how old is he okay no he's 23 now okay so he's he's a bit older but still i mean Maisie barber was was very young when she signed the UFC I it's younger than normal agree with that but it's not so young it's not like he just turned 17 and he's gonna fight again when he's 17 all of that he's he's literally gonna be 18 in two weeks so it's not a huge deal and and they can again use that gimmick to get numbers up the the title of the UFC video is something to the effect of, oh, the youngest fighter ever, and he's going to be, in his uh, post-fight interviews and all that, he's going to be the youngest champion ever. Yeah, that's what Macy Barber said too. And Macy Barber got a good push. I mean, this, it's not not super surprising, and it's not a technique that the UFC hasn't used before to kind of generate interest, especially from the more casual or semi-casual viewer, right? So I think... In the end, when we're talking about good deal, bad deal, I think it's a good deal. With him being so close to 18, with the amount of buzz he's generating, you can slow play him any way you want. 
in his first couple fights, right? You can easily put him with submission artists where he's got a good chance of, you know, taking them down and submitting them. You can put him with some, you know, lower level entry guys, right? at the, Towards the bottom of the division who are on a losing streak or might be near cut, right? And just have him kind of build his skills and get better and pump him up the whole time in the meantime, right? That's, that's what they've done before with several other fighters. Sean O'Malley, Macy Barber, Paige Van Zandt. They tried to with Paige. Um, Sage Northcutt. All of these fighters, they've tried to do that to an extent. And then you get to a point where, okay, we've got to separate, you know, uh, the the cream of the crop, so to speak. Right? And, and when that happens, okay, maybe he'll rise to the test. Maybe he won't. But we know that buzz can be generated and extra sales can be generated, extra merchandise sales can be generated. All of that stuff can be done for, by taking a young fighter and marketing them well. We've seen it done over and over and over. This is just another example of that. It's a good deal. I I cannot see any major blowback here. The worst would have to happen in the next fight. And even then the UFC could say, well, he's 18 now, right? I mean, just, and it ends easily avoid it. Like, just don't put him in there with somebody who can really hurt him. That shouldn't be too hard to find. There, there's definitely, there are definitely opponents that you can set him up against where he's not really in any t- sort of terrible danger, I would imagine. We'll see, but that that would be my guess. So I'm going to say good deal on this one. I think it's the right call. I think it's a good way to generate buzz, and he's just about to turn 18, so why not? Let me know in, your, in the comments or tweet me um, if you disagree. I'd love to hear some differing opinions on this if you think that they shouldn't have signed Roses Jr. for any reason. Because again, I saw a fair amount of people say, I don't know, he's young, this should have been a developmental deal, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, he's really young, but I don't know. I think it makes sense because again, very few scenarios where this bites the UFC in the ass. The optics are going to look not great for certain types of people, but not the fans and the, you know, morbidly casual viewers who want to see like, well, you know, is this kid going to be able to pull it off? Is this kid going to beat grown men who are 25, 26, 30 in the octagon? That curiosity, that's the circus right there. It, It makes sense. Makes sense to me from a business perspective. It's a good deal. All right, next thing we're going to cover in today's episode is some recent comments that Francis Ngannou made to Jimmy Smith on his MMA on Sirius XM radio uh, show. So Ngannou, again, was talking about his current situation, um, ends up talking about fighter pay and fighter leverage, goes on to say you know, that fighters should be able to bring their own sponsors to their uniform. It shouldn't just be the UFC's pick of sponsors like Crypto.com. Fighters should be able to put their own sponsorships on those. Um, and that he understands that UFC wants the uniform to look clean, but there should be some opportunity there. Also says, um, I'm sure over time, UFC fighters, we are losing a lot of power. The company is getting big, getting stronger, and we have no power. Uh, we have nobody there to advocate for us, just in the room making decisions. Nobody cares for the fighters, even though there are about 700 fighters in the promotion. I think they should consider somebody to advocate for the fighters because I don't believe they 
make all those decisions to harm fighters, but sometimes they just don't understand the fighters' positions. So, you know, he then talks about fighter representation in board meetings and all of this. Uh, fighter pay is a huge problem. Everybody's aware of health insurance is an issue. Everybody's aware of, et cetera. I mean, he's not wrong, right? From his perspective and from a business perspective, fighters don't have leverage in negotiations. We've talked about this multiple times, especially with the rise of the ESPN deal. If you're a star in the UFC, if you're Conor McGregor, if you're Brock Lesnar, doesn't matter. You're going to have a ceiling when it comes to negotiations with the promotion. Um, not to say if you're not a bigger star, you don't get a little bit more leverage than others, but I mean, the UFC no longer needs those stars. They can easily survive without them. And that is the key. Until they're put in a position where that's not the case, or if they amass, say, an extreme amount of debt, again, things go sideways with interest rates, right? Fed just raised another uh, three quarters of a percentage point. If then they get put into a bind in order to pay down Endeavor's debt, then fighters will have more leverage. But until that scenario happens, they're going to be fine. And even that scenario seems unlikely, right? Things would have to internally go wrong somewhere. The antitrust lawsuit would have to uh, be awarded to the plaintiffs and a ton of damages and back pay would have to be owed um, outside of any contract changes, et cetera. But it, it just, it's one of those things where at this point, there really isn't much fighters can do. And Iganu's just, you know, telling it how it is. If you're the UFC, there's no point in entertaining some of these notions. You don't want to pay for health insurance. That's a huge cost. You don't want to pay fighters more. That's, again, more cost against your revenue that you have to use to pay down Endeavor's debt. It It's just not the same as it was. Part of the reason why, if you go back and you listen to fighters, Prior to the 2016 buyout, right, there are a lot of people who talk about Lorenzo. Um, I forget who most recently talked about him, but Lorenzo Fertitta and all the the Fertitta brothers and what they did for fighters. It's one of those things where prior to Endeavor buying up the UFC, there still was keeping fighter pay lower, but there was definitely more room to kind of make exceptions partially because again they didn't have the fixed revenue but also because they were profitable right they were a company that was not owned by someone with a ton of debt they were a profitable company making a lot of money so you could do a giant 2015 international fight week with three events thursday friday saturday and then um you know the the 5k might have been 2014 that this happened but you know, you had all this stuff around fans that probably didn't make as much revenue as it was just marketing and just a fan experience and kind of giving back to the fans a little bit. And you had Lorenzo who would make things right or would, you know, quote unquote, or give out bonuses or work with people. That's not the case anymore. You had Chuck Liddell and um, Forrest Griffin, who's still around, but, uh, you know, I think Matt Hughes, you had a fair amount of legends who were part of the office, quote unquote, who just got paid to do nothing, right? They didn't, that's why they were cut. 
they weren't doing anything. They were basically, oh yeah, I show up. Sometimes I work, sometimes I don't. I'm just getting a kind of salary for life because the promotion is taking care of me. 2016 comes around, Endeavor starts slashing costs. Of course they're gone. The only reason Forrest stayed around is because he was actually doing stuff. He actually took it seriously, right? So it's not surprising that we're in a place where fighters have lost leverage. If all these conversations are had and there's a giant push for this in 2011, 2012, et cetera, I think fighters end up with a lot more say, especially if your heavyweight champion was saying this. Could you imagine if Randy Couture or Chuck Liddell or, or you know, whoever was holding the belt was during their, you know, prime was like, you know, we need health insurance. We need better pay, all this stuff. Especially after kind of the boom of, of the ultimate fighter and all that other stuff. I, I, lot, a lot of what ifs in that scenario and a lot more maybe give and take. But in this day and age, fighters have no leverage. They are treated as, a contractor who helps the brand, but the brand is what sells. It's the WWE route, right? WWE is a little bit different or pro wrestling because, right, you get to decide the outcomes. You literally can make the stars to some extent. But UFC is now, you don't like it? Cool, go. We'll find somebody else. We'll tout them as being the best. And we're in such a position of brand dominance, doesn't matter. And so the fact that Ngannou is bringing up these comments does carry a little bit more gravitas because it is the world heavyweight champion, but I don't think anything's going to happen here. These conversations happen every couple months now. It's a lot more than it used to be, which is good because it means fighters are becoming more aware. They're getting better education on the subjects. The representation um, seems to be more informed and less working with the UFC, quote unquote, uh, in certain ways. But, I mean, it's too little too late. Unless there is some major legislation passed or a collective bargaining unit formed or the recognize, um, the courts somehow recognize a union, which again would require a lot of the same work as a collective bargaining agency, um, or, the anti or the antitrust lawsuit goes the way of the fighters, things aren't changing. And people can complain and fighters can make valid points and that's all great, but there is no reason the UFC will budge. They have no financial incentive to. And my guess is if you're in upper management, if you're at a director or higher level, especially if you're an executive and you start suggesting, well, maybe we do this, maybe we do this, and you don't have a way where it ends up being you know, profitable to do this? If you're saying, no, we should just give back and all this stuff, my guess is you're probably getting shown the door because nobody wants to hear that in the C-suite. They're making money hand over fist right now in the UFC. Why would you want to mess that up? Especially with Endeavor being a publicly traded company and having as much debt as they do and with rising interest rates. There's no way. Bring it up again after debt's paid off and you know, after interest rates are, are slashed again, whatever that next cycle is, maybe, but even then, what what's the incentive? There has to be enough public outcry. There has to be enough fighters going against the grain. There's That's not there yet. 
I'm sure the UFC is monitoring this. They have to be, especially after the antitrust lawsuits and the changes to contracts that were made uh, after 2017. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's, we'll just be talking in circles and fighters will be bringing it up. And it's important that fighters bring it up. Don't get me wrong. Um, if, if you're a fighter and you're on that side of the business transaction, you have to keep voicing it. That's the best thing you can do to, tr- to kind of let your fans know like, Hey, this is an issue. Hey, we need to be talking about this other fighters. It's important, but no action's coming to this. I mean, in Ganu, everything he's saying from a fighter perspective makes sense. But yeah, it's, it's, we're walking in circles, talking in circles at this point. And there really is no relief in sight for fighters. Just how it is. Important to touch on, because we will continue to bring this up, especially when big names like Nganu talk about it, but it's not, it's not leading to any concrete action. So just keep that in mind. All right, next up, we have our quick hit section. Three topics I want to briefly touch on for today. Uh, Eddie Alvarez has parted ways with one championship, seems to be amicable and mutual. It's a big deal, right? He was one of the first big signings for one um, outside of Demetrius Johnson, where when he left the UFC and signed with one championship, he said it was an eight-figure deal, said it was this massive thing, a lot of fanfare to it, brought more eyes to one championship, didn't have a great run with the promotion, right? You had that nasty knockout, the uh, DQ, the unanimous decision lost. I think he went one and two overall. And so he's been talking about wanting another opponent, all of this, but it's interesting, right? It can lead you to a couple of different conclusions. Uh, One, obviously Alvarez wasn't super happy, especially being on the shelf that long. Due to the timing, you would think you would want Alvarez to headline a card on Amazon Prime, right? Since they're doing these one on Amazon Prime cards. But one would assume that given what we know about one financials, maybe, especially if Eddie was, you know, disgruntled or not happy, why not let him go and save yourself some money on the contract, right? Because I can't believe it was eight figures. If it really was, that's crazy. But whatever Alvarez was making, it was a lot of money. And so if you're able to kind of cut that um, cost while you're moving into a bigger market, and again, Alvarez didn't exactly have a crazy run to the lightweight title where he's just dominating. He he wasn't even really in the picture because of his losses. It might make sense, right? Go ahead, cut it, save the money, and then spend more of that money on – your continued expansion into the U.S., which is what you want to do if you're one. You talked about it multiple times. You want to do uh, shows in America. That's going to cost money. It's a whole thing. Sure, it it makes sense, but big deal and important to note from a business perspective. Uh, Next, Triple G versus Canelo pay-per-view buys were underwhelming. Uh, We've had a couple of reports. I think DAZN said 1.06 worldwide, but... A lot of the reports in terms of domestic, which is the more important number, is around 575 to 600,000 buys, which they needed at least 600,000 to break even there, given the purses. Lots of different talk here. Again, I'm not a boxing expert or guy. I watch some boxing, but I don't know a lot of the intricacies. I've read some great articles um, and, and some information 
by some great journalists out there. Uh, but I, I'm no expert in this field. Uh, and I don't watch the sport enough where I can say, oh, this is what's going on or this blah, blah, blah. From what I have seen, though, um, certainly sounds like, and from what I do know about DAZN, because I have covered that a fair amount, it sounds like DAZN's reach is not really where it was. We know DAZN has been having issues, right? Um, their whole game plan was to use combat sports to gain a foothold and then bid for NFL, bid for MLB, these bigger American sports rights. And that hasn't gone their way. And we know the guy backing it, right? Um, I love that Nick. I can't remember his name, but, but the billionaire who was backing it essentially was ready to pull his money. The zone was going to have to go out and find their own. Um, yeah. It, this is more to struggle than anything else. I would imagine it's disappointing number. If the 575 K to 600 K is true and yeah, it should have happened. I think white was asked about it. Dana white. And he said, yeah, it should happen four years. Ago. Yeah, definitely should have. It was, if you're a triple G G fan. Um, I know one of my buddies is a big triple G fan. I I'm sorry. It sucks. And then he started to pour it on towards the end. It was more competitive at the end, but it was, it was mostly a blowout and that just, yeah. Um, so is what it is, but again, shows some limitations, especially if you're a promoter, you've got to have the right things in place because you do not want to take any sort of break even or loss on a Canelo fight, let alone a huge trilogy that should have happened a while ago. Right. Um, so important, important to note. Uh, last thing we need to talk about is uh, Scott Coker mentioned that he was in talks with Nate Diaz's people, Ariel Hawani tweeted out that, no, that's not the case. He's in an exclusive negotiation period with the UFC for three months. That's kind of standard, which that is true from, at least from what I know. Um, and so anybody who's saying they're talking to him is BS. Here's the thing, you know, so Scott was just lying. Uh, it's possible, right? But the other thing to understand here is, I think at this point, the UFC recognizes that it's clearly far and away the number one MMA promotion and there aren't real competitors to it. Um, And they don't, again, we just talked about it. They don't need these massive stars. Yes, Nate Diaz leaving wouldn't be great, but, you know, that also wouldn't be exactly terrible for them. And you know, they can match offers a lot of times, right? That's that's something the UFC does often and has a matching clause where if Bellator says they're going to pay you this amount of money, well, great, UFC says we'll match it and you kind of have to sign with us. That's how that goes. I wouldn't be shocked if Coker was talking to Diaz's people, right? I would not be shocked if lines were blurred there. Again, not trying to bring too much pro wrestling into this, and I'm sorry I have recently, um, but the business similarities are very poignant. Uh, uh, so in terms of wrestling, in, in terms of where we've seen this, is you've got WWE reaching out to some AEW guys now that Vince McMahon is gone. And, you know, 
it, it's kind of widely publicized that people reached out and that's yeah contract tampering and it's against the laws all this but the cost of going after that is a whole issue and i would not be surprised if in mma it's kind of lax right it's important to note that as an independent contractor myself there are a lot of rules and some companies follow them religiously and a lot of others have them in contracts and they could care less. They literally just take boilerplate language and put them in and it's like, uh, it all depends on the company. Would not be shocked if that was the case here. If it'd be like, oh, we're going to talk to the guys anyway and you know, can't really prove it. Do you really want to go to court and spend the money? No, we don't. Whatever. Talk to them. We'll talk to them too. Wouldn't be shocked by that. So I don't know what's happening there, but don't necessarily take it as, oh, Scott Coker definitely lied through his teeth. No, I wouldn't necessarily say that. It's possible, but yeah. Anyway, those are my quick hits. Let me know if I missed anything for this past week. Uh, Happy to chat more about it and can also talk more about contracts and independent uh, contractor similarities I've seen. Might do an episode more focused around that uh, for you guys if you'd prefer. So let me know your thoughts on that as well. All right, last thing we're going to talk about today is some comments Floyd Mayweather made in regards to his career at this point looking for exhibition matches where he feels like he's not really in danger, right? Um, so in regards to his upcoming fight against uh, Mikuru Akasura, I hope I'm saying that right. Drake, feel free to yell at me if I'm not. Um, at Ryzen, 38 this weekend, he essentially said this is an exhibition between a jet and a fly. He's obviously the jet. Akasura is the fly. Um Asakura is the fly. Uh, it. He goes on to say, you know, he's looking for safer fights. He's fighting, I forget his name, um, Deji, I want to say is his name. Um, I had to look it up, but my computer's being iffy, so I'm not going to do that right now. But uh, he's fighting him. He, he wants to do, again, another Connor fight. They're in, apparently, according to him, they're in the final rematch negotiations. We'll see. But he's essentially saying, like, yeah, I want to take these fights because I'm not really putting myself out there to get hurt. Like I should be able to clown these guys. That's the gist of this. And so the interesting part about this is that's probably true, right? Um, We have seen MMA fighters try and make the move over to boxing and it's a different sport. It really is. You know, that's why a lot of fighters have have struggled so much. It's a big reason why, you know, Jake Paul wants to keep fighting MMA guys is because that's a good level for him probably, right? Like, it's it's not someone who's super dangerous, someone who's a, a pro boxer who has been training just boxing their whole life. Uh, it's part of the reason I want to see Nate Diaz versus Jake Paul because I really feel like that could be interesting, but... It's, yeah, it's just one of those things, man, where ultimately when you look at boxers crossing over into MMA and vice versa, it's always a problem. If a boxer crosses over into MMA and fights standing on the feet, uh, Clarissa Shields, even Daniel Wolf to an extent, although less so, but Clarissa Shields is a great example. Um, went to the PFL first match, right? When it was on the feet, she was piecing people up, but then every MMA fighter just went, took her down. And once she, once they took her down, it, it was a struggle for shields. 
Makes sense. You've been training literally one martial art your entire life. Boxing works pretty well in MMA unless you're going up against a kickboxer with kicks and nose range, etc. Yeah. But it's it's a tool set that you've probably perfected versus a tool set of a whole arsenal where yeah, you might have it down and you that might be your edge, but you still got to train wrestling, you still got to train kicks, you got to do all these other things, jujitsu, right? That's the whole point of MMA. Vice versa, I mean, MMA fighters who go into boxing, we've seen some success, right? But a lot of times, again, it's not, you're not watching an MMA fighter who was a great MMA fighter go into boxing and then make a run at a title, right? That's that's a huge difference. Um, kickboxing and MMA is a little bit closer because, again, you're, you're adding a whole nother piece to the puzzle. We've seen some kickboxers come into MMA and be champs. Adesanya, um, gone, was interim champ, right? Uh, yeah, that's that's one scenario. But just boxing, it, it's, yeah. And even then, those guys were kickboxers first. Important to note. Alex Pereira versus Izzy Adesanya is in MMA, but it's a kickboxing match. It's the trilogy of their kickboxing matches. Unless Adesanya tries to, you know, faint and go for takedowns. Well, maybe, right? But, like, that's... It's a trilogy of their kickboxing fight. Um, they were not brought up in MMA specifically. Guys who were brought up in MMA specifically are almost all wrestlers, right? And even then, they were wrestling, and then they added ground strikes and all that. It's... it's is what it is. And yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I'm going to take that back because you can't say they were brought up in MMA. It's rare to see someone who started training out in MMA be an MMA champion. Usually it's they've got one that they started out in wrestling or kickboxing or something. Um, But they also transitioned to the sport easier. Boxing, that doesn't seem to be the case. If you are just a boxer and you go to MMA, no. MMA trying to go to boxing, same type of deal. You, you... See Anderson Silva do very well, right? You saw Conor McGregor. Some people still argue with me to this day that Conor McGregor was, you know, winning the Floyd Mayweather fights. No, Floyd let him win a couple rounds and then pieced him up, right? It it is what it is. And so for Floyd to make these comments, he's essentially saying like, yeah, this isn't a real threat. This is a way for me to get money. And he is, he's getting paid. I think for this one, he said around $20 million. I don't know if I believe that per, per se, but... He's making millions of dollars to fight MMA fighters who he should easily outclass, even at his older age, right? Um, yeah, it, it's what he's saying is not untrue, and it's a smart business decision. He doesn't want to go back in there at his age and take his first official loss. He doesn't want to go back in there and you know end up with a bad run at the end like we've seen so many other boxers do, right? Like Muhammad Ali's run at the end was terrible. I, and and yes, Ali never had the opportunity. Uh, I mean, I guess he had the Anoki disaster, right? Which, which was very strange. But he didn't have the opportunity to box MMA fighters because the sport wasn't even around for a lot of it and definitely not huge. Why wouldn't you take this opportunity? If you are 
a huge name that can draw money, why would you not take an opportunity to get paid millions of dollars for exhibitions because your pay-per-views are doing well? Because you have your name versus a name in another sport, but it's still a big crossover fight. The masses don't seem to understand. A lot of casual combat fans um, don't, don't seem to understand that Connor had a, a puncher's chance, if that, against Floyd, right? And that's how almost all of these fights are. Mikuru Asakura has even less of a puncher's chance. It's it's bad. And I even had people tell me, oh, well, Tension, you know, Tension Nashikawa, crazy kickboxer, so just boxing, who knows? No, no, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. And that's the beauty of the business decision. The marketing and the perception is set up that he can have these fights. Floyd can go out there, have these fights, make a ton of money, and never really feel like he's in danger. And you'll notice in the fights where he maybe gets stung or tagged a little bit, then he turns it on, he, he ends it quickly. Uh, the fight with Tension is a perfect example of this. You could see at one point, Tension's really going for a knockout or a big hit. He kind of hit, hits Floyd a little bit, and then Floyd's like, all right, and, and knocks him down three times, ends it. Same with Connor, where Connor's like, going after him a bit and starting to get tired. And Floyd's like, all right, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and finish this. And then he does. He just turns it on. If Floyd's in there doing that from the start of the fight, I mean, most of these fights end much quicker than they do. Sometimes he's putting on a show. Sometimes he's just waiting for the opponent to gas himself out, taking this time. A lot of reasons for it. But the perception that any of these guys are going to beat Floyd Mayweather it's enough of a question mark for a lot of fans like, well, but what if that happens? Yeah, it, don't get me wrong. It'd be a massive event. It would be insane. I guarantee you whoever does pull that off if it happens instantly gets a huge star power up, right? That's a bigger discrepancy than Pena beating Nunez the way she did um, to a much bigger star. So, yeah, I mean, the opportunity for these fighters, of course you want to do it. If, if you're Mikuru Asakura, you're probably making a ton of money and, I mean, not nearly as much as Floyd, but you're probably making more than, a lot more than you normally do. And you have the chance that if you somehow just land a perfect punch on Floyd that knocks him down or causes any sort of stir, you'll suddenly become a fast rising star, right? If you somehow beat Floyd, man, I mean, that changes everything. Right. So again, it, it's smart play by Floyd because it's an easy way for him to make millions of dollars doing what he's the best at while not really having to worry about taking massive damage or getting in trouble. Right. He, he's not wrong. And, and I would say so far his exhibition matches, he's assessed them correctly where there hasn't really been any danger. Connor was probably the most dangerous just because he had power and, you know, did train boxing that you never know because Connor was pretty much in his prime at that point. But even then, I mean, it was, it was easy for Floyd. He, he easily won that fight. So, yeah, why not keep doing it? And again, if you're an MMA fighter and you look at this, oh, wait, I can go get a massive opportunity to make more money than I've ever made before and then possibly become a legend if I happen to win. Oh, and if I lose, it doesn't really hurt my stock because it's not MMA. Why not? 
it's crazy that Anderson Silva is making more money than he's probably ever made fighting Jake Paul, right? Or near as much money as at the height of his popularity in MMA to box Jake Paul. But the market's there. Take advantage of it because it may not always be there, right? Like it could easily fizzle up. We don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know if this is going to become kind of a regular thing. I doubt it. My guess is at some point it will kind of reset itself. But until then, if I'm an MMA fighter, yeah, I'm calling out Jake Paul. Yeah, I'm calling out Logan Paul. I'm calling out Floyd Mayweather. I'm calling out any of these guys to get more money and more recognition than I've ever had before. Why not? And if I'm Floyd or if I'm, you know, anybody, if if I am, I don't know about Pacquiao because he's looked pretty bad, but I mean, think about it. Think Pacquiao could do this, right? Canelo, if I'm getting old, I could do this. Triple G, I don't know if you have the same drawing power, but I mean, why not? It's easy money. And if you're past your prime in boxing, there's no reason not to. So, yeah, I mean, expect it to continue, at least in the short term, but really until the money dries up. It's a good business proposition for everybody involved, really, except the promoter, unless they mess it up, but like DAZN kind of did. But otherwise, it's just free money, and people are willing to buy it right now. Take advantage of it, because I really doubt it's going to last forever. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Fight Business Podcast this week. I know it was a shorter one. I will try and get back to longer ones. It's just been, work's been went nuts. So I apologize for that. A huge shout out to John Brannigan, who's killing it in these edits. Uh, Absolutely love the videos. Give that man a follow. If you don't, uh, I will be upset with you because he deserves it for all the work he does on this stuff, especially how late I get him these videos sometimes. That in mind, make sure you like, subscribe, bell notification. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, what have you, always appreciate you guys. Send me any topics you want me to cover, uh, any thoughts, reactions to this. I always love talking to you guys about the business side. And until next time, y'all, get money.